You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. God, I'm here. We are here together. And we'll thank for God so much that you were here before us and that you welcome us into your story. We pray, God, that you open up our ears and our eyes to hear and to see the word that you have to provide for us today. We pray this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Oftentimes, life feels fairly hopeless. In fact, you could probably point to those occasions in your life when you just feel that pervasive hopelessness. And no, no matter how hard you insert the word here, pray, try, spend, exert energy, you, you still can't reach that change that you want. You still can't quite find the hope that you want. At times it feels like your energies stall out or completely fail because you can't affect the change that you think needs to happen in your life. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind in moments like that. If it's those things that you weep about, those things that you're angry about to the point of blood boiling in your life, whether that's a marriage or a job, a neighborhood situation, where you just feel like you're banging your fist against a marble door. I mean, we don't have to go back far. We don't have to go back 21 years to 9-11 to feel that sense of powerlessness and hopelessness. We can go to just around Labor Day to what happened on our street on Montgomery Boulevard. Now, I'm sorry to even bring this up, but in the old yellow sub shop, drug deal goes bad, things go wrong, employees have to fight people out the door just to get them out of the restaurant. Days before, at Giovanni's Pizza Place, guy shows up at closing time, Confronts the owner and the employees for the tip jar, you know, just the tip jar, $15, $25. They throw it on the ground and the gunman leaves, but the owner goes with his own gun and confronts the thief in the parking lot and the owner is killed. I mean, there are points in our life where you just wonder, can we affect any change at all? Is it really worth it for $15 to $25 to push like that? There's a lot of pain in our world. There's a lot of pain in each one of us that sometimes surfaces. It sometimes gets spewed out on others. And it's unleashed in a way that's unhelpful for them. Unleashed on the person maybe with the least consequences for the one that's angry and upset. And as much as we want to have hope and we wish for peace, that wish feels empty. Feels like it can't come true. Now you're saying, well, Brady, that's a real downer. What a way to start off Sunday. Great time of worship. Boy, drag us in the trenches down there. Well, let me me cheer you up a little bit because the purpose today is to find hope. I want to help us engage and grab onto hope and provide for you wherever you're at or what you're dealing with, kind of that next step to seek hope. 
Now, no, you're not going to get a full ranging plan. I'm not going to give you five steps to a more hopeful life where you just go one step right after another and everything works out. But I am going to point you. I'm going to point you in a direction, giving you one point. Because each week, I, I tend to bleed myself out up here. I spend my weeks serving and listening to you, talking with you, praying for you, putting myself before the Word of God and before God, listening for His Word for how we can live today. So it's not a talk, it's not, it's not a speech, but these are spiritual words. These are words that we're seeking to find God in our life. And that's really important. Because like our sign says, we are in this series on together. And we're trying to put our lives together. And we're looking to God to put things back together in our lives. Because a lot of times it feels like our lives are falling apart, that we're frazzled on our last nerves, or that we lack a sense of purpose in our own life. But we believe that God is putting us together. Fiber by fiber, blood vessel by blood vessel, God is working good things in us. And so I will assume today a belief in God. There are other beliefs that are out there. And I, and I welcome your engagement. These alternatives of how you might live your life. And yet I put forward God because He is the one. He's the one that we look to. For me, whenever I, I feel like life's kind of coming apart or unraveled, I tend to find myself going out to big spaces to take in big views, to take a breath of fresh air. And occasionally, you know, I might want smaller spaces, you know, comfortable clothes or a certain blanket or a chair that's comfortable or, or just to be able to shut the door of the house and let the interruptions, to let the noise of the world not make its way into my head. But there are times when I just got to get up from that couch, get up from the chair and move and be out in these bigger spaces to look up into the heavens, to take in a mountain view, to look at the stars on a day like this when maybe the brightest star for sure is the sun, the only one that we can see. But oftentimes it's the nighttime stars where you take in thousands upon thousands, really millions of stars and planets and galaxies. These views that take us and help us realize that we're, we're a dot in a state on the continent of North America on this little blue orb. But from this orb, we can look out into space. Can I take you on a little journey? One of the many dots that you can see out in space in the night sky at certain times of the year is something called Arrakis. Arrakis is a, a supergiant. Just looks like a dot to us. It might be a little bit red because it's a red supergiant or hypergiant. And it's big. It's one of the biggest tiny things that you can see in the sky. It's sometimes called Herschel's Garnet Star. Just to give you an idea of what this supergiant is in terms of space, it's a thousand times as large as our sun. Now our sun's pretty big. Our sun, if it were actually a globe, you could drop a million Earths down inside of the sun. And yet Arrakis is a thousand times as big as our sun. It's huge. In fact, let's just try to pull Arrakis here for a minute. Let's pull Arrakis into our galaxy and replace our sun with Arrakis. If we did that, Arrakis would swallow up our sun 
and multiple planets, the planets closest to it, Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars and Jupiter and all the space that is between them, all of their orbits, that's how big this little dot is in the sky that we can see with our eyes. Stuff like that helps me get perspective to know where I fit in this world. So another place that I want to take you today where I want to spend time is a story that happened 6,000 years ago. Yeah, imagine that. 6,000 years ago, there was a man in a field, a nomad, a married man, but a traveling man who had no children from his wife. And he heard a voice in a field. Now, I, I do not advise that you listen to every voice that you hear. You know, some stray voice in the night, you know, watching the stars or laying in bed. You can't trust every voice that you hear. Are you with me on this? Because there are all kinds of spiritual influences that will want to project things on us. So don't trust every voice that you hear. But this man kept hearing the voice. Voice sometimes called the fear, sometimes called Yahweh. This one who told him that he would have a child. He told him this over many years. And on this particular night in the field, he invites the man to look up at the stars and to say, look at all these stars, all of them. So shall your descendants be. And Abraham believed that voice. He trusted that voice, even though it was craziness because he was 100 years old. And yet he listened to this voice over a period of 25 years and trusted it trusted that he would, and along with his 90-plus-year-old wife, be able to bear and have a child. And Scripture in Genesis 15, 6 says that his trust, his faith, his belief was credited to him as righteousness. Spring forward 4,000 years into the future, so 2,000 uh, years removed from us. A rabbi, Paul, picks up this same story and you, you get a sense that these voices have to be paid attention to, right? You have to process these over many, many years, thousands of years and generations. And Paul brings us a word that helps us look at this in a new way. A way that we hear and understand the expansiveness of God even more expansively than even Abraham could. Paul points to Abraham and said, man, Abraham hoped against hope. Even though everything was hopeless, he believed. He believed what God said. And he believed in this expansive, thousands of years retelling story that God would do something to credit righteousness to the one who has faith or trust. All right, here's what I want us to do. We're going to stand for a reading of God's Word. I'm not going to read all of chapter 4 to you, but I, I do want to read a few verses. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor according to the flesh? For if Abraham was so justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something that's due but to one who without works trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned 
as righteousness. So also David, he speaks of the blessedness of those to whom God reckons as righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Is this blessedness then pronounced only on the circumcised or also on the uncircumcised? We say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it reckoned to him as righteousness? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. All right. So what do we care? What do we care about a 6,000-year-old story of a man in a field who's a nomad looking at the stars and hearing voices about having kids? What does it matter to us that he had a child named Isaac or he laughs? Or that he became the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, the Jewish people. What point and what matter does that to us? Well, here's why it matters. You see, there's a lie that's out there. And the lie is this. The lie is that God saves only good people. And God sends bad people to hell. God only wants to be around those that have it all together and that he welcomes and saves those who have it all together, and those that don't, he doesn't want anything to do with. It's easy for us in this lie, I mean, is it true that he's going to let people choose their own path? Yeah. Is it true that God lets you choose where you want to go in the direction of your life, whether that's to succeed or fail, until your death, your eternal death? Yeah, God gives you that option. But the lie is that it's closer to this where you tend to think that you need to live your life alone or away or stressed out trying to do so many things. This lie tells us that maybe three different things. I don't really need God. There's no such thing as God. I'm going to do just fine on my own. That's one part of the lie. Or maybe it's the lie of, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable enough for God to love. That's a second one. Or a third part of this lie of, you're not good enough. You don't have it enough together. God doesn't want you or God doesn't want to live with you. And the problem with these three parts of this lie is that we're judging, we're making a determination that there's no God. We're determining that God wants nothing to do with us or determining that God has nothing to do with other people that don't have it together. And the story plays out whichever place you want to look. If it's with the Jews, it plays out where they try to focus in on what Abraham does, that he's circumcised, that he follows the law. With Christians, we do the same thing. How well do you follow the doctrines? Are you pure? Are you true? Have you performed specific rituals? And while all of those things are good... Those good works are valuable because they point us in a direction, they guide us towards God. It's pretty easy to trust them, to trust how well we're able to perform them or how imperfectly we're unable to perform them or how we want nothing to do with them at all. We want to choose our own path. And so we miss. We miss 
the truth of the good news. Because we believe the lie of the bad news that God doesn't want anything to do with us and God doesn't see us as valuable. That's where Paul brings us a new word. 4,000 years later, this whispering word, Paul breathes some new life into by the Holy Spirit. Where he says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now he's just using the words from Genesis 15, but they're accounting words. These are financial words. Reckoned like credit. So if you're looking at the column of righteousness, God looks at those who have faith and says, I'm taking your faith, I'm taking your trust, and I'm putting it right here in the column of righteousness. I'm counting it as righteousness. That's astounding. That reminds us that this is God's story. It's not Abraham's story or our story. We're able to join in to what God is doing, to choose faith, and to trust that God does crazy things like give kids to people who have not the bodies or the, the age to actually pull that off. That God allows belief to set the course of life. Anyone, as Peterson puts in the message in verse 6, anyone who trusts God to do the putting together of our lives is fortunate. They're fortunate to be alive. Now here's where I, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. I'm one of the hand wavers. One of those people that look like they've got it together. One of those people that seem like the image of having their life together. They look the part. And I say, yes, but, but what about the law? And what about circumcision? Or if I want to go down the Christian path, what about baptism and belief in the Bible and all of these things? All are valuable, but they're not what we put our trust in. Our response to what God has done is not where we put our trust in. Because if we did, if we could put our trust in that, then it would be like our job. So if you're good at the performance of the law, then you're able to get the wages of the law, right? That's what Paul uses as an example. It's if you do a job and you're given wages, you didn't just get those as a gift card, you earned them. That was due you in the column of the accounting tables. And yet God meets us right where we are. He meets us with the faith that we have. He meets us with the weaknesses that we have. He meets us in the field of hopelessness like where Abraham was. Wherever we are is where God comes to meet us. Now there are things that distract us, and this is going to be my flyover of chapter 4. There's four things that... It was easy for us to put our trust in. We could put trust in works or in circumcision or in the law or in who our family is. And so I'll do this rather quickly. In verse 2 and 3, we could see how Paul says, you can't put your faith in works. That's not what God counts as righteousness. God counts faith as righteousness. Second, circumcision. You can't put your trust in circumcision. And all the females are saying, well, thank goodness. You know, what does that matter? Well, you cannot put your trust in any religious work. He points to David and says, the happy person is the one that the Lord doesn't count sins against. They are happy. They are blessed. They go through their life differently. 
And it's at this second one here on circumcision that I love where Paul asks questions. I, I like to ask questions too. And he says, uh, let me think here. Abraham, was he credited as righteousness before circumcision or after circumcision? And he makes the point with a strong exclamation point. He was reckoned as righteousness as righteous before circumcision. It doesn't come for several more chapters in Genesis 17. And that is an aha moment for many Jews to look and to see that this faith thing is not something just new and innovative. This faith thing has been along the whole way through. Brings him to the, to the fourth one, or the third one about the law. In verse 13, it's not about the law saving us. And when did the, come, when did the law come in terms of Abraham? Paul doesn't make this point here. He makes it in Galatians. The law comes 430 years later. Now again, think about that logically. Think about that like a lawyer. If you don't get the law for 430 years, how is it able to make you just? It doesn't, and it never did. The final one in my flyby here is in verse 16. To trust who your family is, to trust your descendants, to trust how you've come from Abraham or religious people. Paul says, uh-uh, uh-uh. Those who share the faith of Abraham, remember? Share the faith of Christ, share the faith of Abraham who trust in faith. So many ways he's saying, look, Abraham is more like the people who have had nothing to do with God than he is like the Jews who had things to do with God for thousands of years. Ha, huh, fly by over. Well, what's the reason for this? Why, why is this voice whispering in the field to point us to look at the stars? Why does it matter? It matters because God points us that faith is the way for everyone to come to him. The righteousness of God is accessed through faith, through trust. And so when we get to the edge of our life, when we're feeling hopeless, when we feel like we can't pull it off, we trust. We trust in someone beyond us. We let the bigness of the stars lift our eyes up to God. A God who invites us to come to him simply by believing that he raised Jesus from the dead. One last set of verses that I think you need to see. These are worth reading. Verse 22 of chapter 4. Therefore, Abraham's faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now the words, it was reckoned to him, were written not for his sake alone, hear this part, but for ours also. It will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. Why does it matter about Abraham and what Paul said? It matters because these are words for us too. That the expansiveness of what God wants to do with this world includes you. Verse 5 provides another beautiful summary of this same thing. Where if someone lacks works, if they are an ungodly person, if they will put their trust in God, the God who made them and loves them and wants to live in them, if that person will trust God, God will bring them righteousness. We have this resurrection faith where what God did in Jesus to raise him back from death is what he does in our hopeless lives. 
When we look around and we can't put it back together, we have a way to access spiritual power to trust something beyond ourselves, to put faith or trust or belief in God. And yet so many times, we trade that simple approach for an obstacle course, for a complicated understanding of how we come to God, a confusing journey of signing doctrinal statements, of performing certain deeds, all of which are valuable and good to know why and what you believe. But we don't put our trust in God. When you come to God, things change. When you are willing to put that trust in God, things radically are transformed. In fact, there are even things about us that die. I mean, it makes logical sense, right? If you're going to seek the God that created you, the God that made you, then you're seeking life. And so those things that are in your life that lead to death, those things that actually harm you, they need to die. It's almost like if your heart was a fireplace, you have many things on the mantle above that fireplace, many other gods that you need to clear off the mantle place and throw into the fire because they're not going to last anyway. They lead toward death. And instead, replace the fire of your heart to burn for God, to not be given over to decay, but give yourself over to light. Not all of the fake gods, but the one true and living God. Because faith is not some stop sign where you just get there and you park and you're like, I've got it. And we can be complacent in our faith and just lay down there in the floor with Calvin and wallow around and how much you can't do anything. No, we get up off the floor because this grace that is free for all it's not a free-for-all, Mardi Gras pursuit of whatever we wish. Those things will die. They'll go away. Instead, lift your eyes up to the stars, up to the skies, to see the bigness of what God is doing and to see how maybe you're replacing a pursuit of God with a fluid, a substance, a desire, a habit, something that is not really giving you life it's leading you to death it's nurturing and developing hopelessness in you look up to the stars the uk supergroup coldplay was once not so much a supergroup they uh their first ever single that they released in the united states was a song called yellow and it's a song that I have my own interpretation of. They, they might, probably would not own up to this particular interpretation. But I hear this song from the very first time that I heard it as God singing a song to us. Singing to us to look up at the stars. To see how they shine for you. And where God describes about taking his own turn. To cross over, to swim across, to reach out to us who are skin and bones. And to take us as skin and bones and to turn us into something beautiful. I, I hear this song as God's devoted love for us. And I'm going to invite all of us to live into that. To lean into that meaning because we're looking at what God is calling us to. Faith. Trust in Him that he has us. We offer this to Jesus. 
the one who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit, the only true God. To him be glory and power forever. Amen.